Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for season three, where we explore all things sports coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Three excellent guests join me this week to kick off season three. So please introduce yourself and tell us your current role. Hi, Phil, and thanks for the invite. I'm Andy Bradshaw. Uh, Currently work for UK Coaching as a senior coach developer. Um, So that uh, covers a variety of different things at the moment, but mostly to do with supporting those who support other coaches um, in a variety of different settings. Um, sport is hockey, uh, field hockey. Um, I've been involved in um, coaching in the talent pathway for England hockey for quite some time. Not so much now with a small family, but uh, for the past 20 odd years, uh, been doing that. And just re-involve myself in local club coaching with the Sheffield Hockey Club, which is just down the road from me. So that's my story. Uh, I'm Tom Hartley. Um, without boring people, I do the same job as Andy. So um, I work at UK Coaching as well um, and have the same job title, Senior Coach Developer. Um, so I guess for me, my sports football um, works coached in the game for as long as I can remember, as long as I've been doing something, to be honest. Um, always predominantly work with younger players. Um, now dipping my toe in the water of working with, with a, a senior women's team. Um, and for me, why do I do it? I guess I always want to try and make a positive difference to people in whatever shape or form that might be. Keen to inspire some positive change. And, and I love to challenge the status quo. For me, doing stuff in the way that things have always been done, I'm not so sure about. So I'm always keen to find different ways to, um, to help people and to... To, to make learning really sticky. Hi, uh, hi everyone. Yeah, thanks very much, Phil, for inviting me along. I am Doug McDonald. I, in my day job, work for the Scottish Canoe Association and the title of coach and pathway developer. So I'm also a coach developer in the day job. I primarily work developing our pathway and performance coaches in the two Olympic disciplines of canoeing, um, but I work across a broad range of sports. I work with swimming and sailing and triathlon and all sorts of other bits and pieces uh so I come from a pr- pretty broad and eclectic background I suppose in, in what I do now and trying to try to think pretty broadly about what we do and trying to it's a bit like Tom trying to trying to challenge perhaps what's always been there and just thinking differently about what we do fantastic gents absolute pleasure to have all three of you on thank you very much for giving up your time and uh yeah really excited for this to uh to broaden my horizons in a few sports that I'm not uh particularly au fait with so it'd be, it'd be interesting to uh, to see what you bring uh just a quick reminder to everyone listening to check out the blurb on rugby coach weekly for links to all the content that we discuss and recommendations to other high quality content so uh into the discussion andy we are coming to you first what is it that you're uh, going to be talking about yeah so at the start of the year um i w- where i went to with what would be good to share um was something around uh, reviewing a year so um, you know do you look at new year's resolutions or do you look at doing something different uh, and I was drawn to um, kindly shared by one of my colleagues Jenny Cody I think you've had on the show before um, who had internally shared some stuff around a uh, Tim Ferris blog so I've listened to some of his podcasts in the past um, and that's something we might uh, link into later on but he wrote a blog a couple of years old now it's in 2018 um, looking at uh, doing a 
post-year review. So looking back at the year that's just gone rather than just saying, right, what am I going to do in this year? Um, I'm very, very simple. Uh, and I think in terms of what's just happened in the past year, it might be a really interesting exercise for people to do. I'll see if I can give it justice in a sort of 90 second wrap up. So um, the idea is you basically get a blank piece of paper, uh, you put a positive column and a negative column. And then you work through uh, your calendar for the previous year and you can do it in as much detail as you want. He advises doing it almost on a weekly basis and record in the categories of people, activities and commitments is what he talked about. Um, but I was quite interested to see how you might split activities up. You might have learning opportunities for lots of things that happened in, in 20. Uh, 2020 um, you might have experiences i think you could add that in as well um, and basically what you're looking to do is as you go through your calendar um, put them in either in the positive column or the negative column so go through the entire year and try and categorize all of these different the people that you've dealt with the activities that you've undertaken the commitments that you've uh, you've undergone um, and then the next exercise is to go through each column and decide which ones were sort of in the top fifth. So the top 20% that really raised a peak emotion, whether that was a negative emotion or a positive emotion. And then the, 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 the final step is to have a look at, well, of that list of the top 20%, well, you need to do more of those things. So the things that were really filling you with positivity, then schedule them in you know, make commitments, book things, pre-plan. Now, I know at the current stage, pre-planning anything is nigh on impossible, but you actually decide these are the things I want to engage with. And conversely, with the things that were a drain, that were a real negative energy, you know, almost write a not-to-do list. You know, stay away from those things. Um, and the, I think the key point that he had at the end of it was um, – don't just take away all the negative stuff because that will leave a void. Really, really ensure that you're filling that with the positivity side of things. And I think it was what struck me on reflecting on a year that was very different to most was how could you take some real positivity out of that and really look forward to 2021 with hopefully with a real optimistic view. So hope that gives a little bit of a share. It's not a long blog for those that want to read it, but I think it's quite nicely timed for where we are right now. I love that. I think that's a great idea. Um, yeah. And, and as you say, probably replaces the classic New Year's list that, that nobody sticks to by about the third week in January. So um, what was uh, what was in your top 20 percent? What uh, what were the highlights for you last year? Well, I mean, I sort of focused on on certainly on the learning side of things. So which which were the learning experiences for me that stuck out the most and that had most value and i, and I know we've had lots of conversations internally and I've, um, with other colleagues and other coach developers about what types of learning were most useful because there was lots i mean let's uh, let's not um you know bony bones about the fact that there was so much content available as we went into lockdown and almost what were people's filter on that in terms of actually what's going to make a difference to what I do? Um, and for me, some of those experiences were ones that really were, were very genuine and people being very honest about what they did and, do, and approaching that in a very collaborative way. Um, you know, so we were involved in, in delivering some stuff UK coaching wise, and actually we, we deliberately set out to make that a very um, almost community networking based experience that 
was enabling people to actually bring their sense of right well who am i in this current situation and and what can we learn from each other and how can we share experiences and i think that that sort of genuine um you know if i can find more of those experiences in the next year i think i've built a greater connection with a wider variety of people and i've also probably going back to your questions i'm not sure i've answered it yet is those experiences that were definitely outside of my normal sort of echo chamber. So actually finding um, some expertise from different worlds. Uh, so different worlds that aren't coach development and coaching, but would certainly have some influence um, or some, uh, you know, just, you know, some, and it might be the smallest of things, but the things that actually you could bring into coaching or into supporting people, whether that is around learning, whether that's around reflective practice, those are the bits that made the most impact for me. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I guess there's loads to unpick in that. I'm, I'm interested in, in terms of, and I'll open this up to all of you actually, because I think it'd be, it'd be great to get everybody's opinion, but what, I guess what is the future COVID obviously accelerated, I guess, the online learning piece for a lot of people, whether that was kind of formal or, or informal. So where would you guys now see the future of coach development, of coach education, you know, engaging with other people in that sphere? Do we think, I guess, currently we can do nothing else other than online? But is there going to be a rush for everybody to get back in the room because we haven't done that in so long and, you know, hugs and high fives all over the place? Or, or do we think there's going to be a lot of it will stay on this because we've worked out actually it's quite time and cost effective for me just to sit in my living room and, and engage with 50 people on a call rather than travel, you know, six hour round trip for a two hour session. So I'm, I'd be interested to know what your guys thoughts are on the space. Well, I mean, it's much easier to hide a beer around the back of the iPad when I'm having a conversation in this context, but uh, you can't quite do that in a webinar or in a workshop scenario. Um, I, I must admit, what we've, I think what we've learned is to get better at doing this. Uh, it seemed to be, you know, if you were to roll back the clock possibly 12 months now, it almost seemed to be a last resort to do something virtually. Um, and I think through lots and lots of practice using different platforms, um, people start to realize actually you can get a pretty good result out of it. It, it does require um, a bit of, bit more, possibly a bit more creativity. It certainly requires uh, as much, if not more, planning to. Um, to ensure that there's engagement and, there's, and to ensure that you're understanding the medium that you're using. You know, it's not that classic one of you can't do what you did in a, in a face-to-face workshop online. It needs to be adapted. Um, and I think those that have been willing to explore that and be playful and creative and get a whole lot of things wrong, as with any learning experience, um, you know, have, have started to evolve some really, really useful learning products and some useful learning experiences. Um, for me, the sort of how it moves forward is, you know, what are the best, you know, if you, if you almost see possibly you're going to move into a bit more of a mixed model of a combination of virtual activity and in-person activity. And I, you know, I do crave for actually meeting someone and having a nice cup of coffee, and actually having some personal interaction. But you, I think you will start to make some decisions around, well, actually, what am I going to do? What's the point of difference for coming together in person? And for us in coach developer world, you know, that might actually be, you know, we want to get into you know, in situ observation, we want to go and watch coaches coach and listen to what that sounds like, which is 
you know, you can capture that on video, but it's not quite the same in terms of being there in person, getting the sort of the whole picture of what is happening and immersing yourself in that and sensing the sort of the feelings that you're, um, that you're feeling and, uh, you know, actually starting to get a real picture of that environment and the context. So I think that decision-making is around, well, what, what can we only get in person and how does that add value? And what can we do virtually? And how do those two things combine? Because, you know, there's lots of occurrences where people travel huge distances to go and do a, a face-to-face workshop when actually they could get a very, very similar, if not exactly the same experience online now. So I think there's certainly economies of, of travel and time. Um, but yeah, you've certainly heard enough of me already. So Doug, Tom, what are you thinking? Doug, can I ask, what, what does that look like from a paddle sport perspective? Because it, it's pretty easy as a rugby coach to sit and watch a rugby game with a load of other coaches because there's a lot that happens in a game and there's a lot that you can deconstruct. Is that the same for canoe slalom or something like that? Can, can you watch those and review them back with other coaches and learn some stuff? Is I, I would have no experience of that in a completely different sport, so I'd be really interested. Yeah, no, thanks. And always good to hear Andy giving his thoughts to us. Don't worry about your, your long discussion. It was really interesting listening into your thoughts as always. Um, I would agree with you. I think that it, it's not in place of, it's in addition to. Um, I suppose I've had a different experience over the last year in that I've actually been able to do a reasonable amount of in-situ work. So it's been absolutely fascinating going out to coaches and seeing, well, what actually have they absorbed? So you sat on a UK coaching session on this. How are you applying that in your practice now and just going out to those, those environments has, has been, yeah, really interesting. Um, and answer the question around, can you do less in, in individual sport? It's just different, I think, is the answer. It just, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I mean, we, we did things like, we did online sessions on coaching C1, so canoe paddlers, for example, which was really, really good. And you got people like Craig Morris, who's, who's absolutely fantastic, delivering sessions like that. For me, the, the nugget is though that coaching is always a doing thing. So it's a great, what's the application to practice? And to me, that's where the, as coach developers, that's where the in-situ piece is so important. So we're going, brilliant. You have these fantastic guys, Tom and Andy and Phil and these people. What are you taking with that? What, what are you now applying in your practice? What is working? What's not working? And to me, what's been really fascinating is, particularly in Scotland, we've had all sorts of different variations on rules and things that they can and can't do at different times. So great, in an ideal world, you would kneel down on pool deck with a swimmer, with a swimmer and have that dialogue. You absolutely can't do that right now. So how are you going to find an equivalent to doing that? What's the alternative to doing that? And that, that to me is really, really fascinating. And as we go into the next part where we can start getting back into the field and, and doing these things, how are coaches taking that massive amount of online learning potentially and how are they putting that into practice? Does that make sense? And that to me is, is just really fascinating. Tom, what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, I guess a couple of things really spring to mind and, and building both on Andy's points and, and Doug's points as well. I think, first of all, it's about coaches maybe have a different expectation now of what great learning might look like. And perhaps the last year and all the stuff that we've learned developing and delivering kind of webinars and learning and all this kind of stuff to people. Um, perhaps, perhaps people now are thinking, well, how, how do I want to engage with some new content or some, some new materials? So in the past, I guess, we've got our face-to-face -face workshops as our default way of going receiving stuff in a formal coach education setting. Um, maybe some limited choice around that. But now we're thinking, well, 
could we could we use a podcast as a piece of piece of content to learn from? Um, could we watch a recorded webinar or a live webinar? Um, then a face-to-face -face workshop, and all of a sudden, you're creating a menu of choice how people want to consume all this content. Um, and for me, thinking about the future, maybe it won't happen in 2021, but over the next five, 10 years, I think organizations will start developing qualifications and courses and CPD opportunities where there isn't just one way of going and connecting with that, those people or that content. It can be done in a, in a multitude of ways. And I suppose as a, as a tutor, I sit here quite cautiously thinking, right, People have spent the last nine months um, sat on a sat on a webinar, listening to stuff, and actually, if they're not engaged or they're not enjoying it, they can just switch off and go and listen to something else. What happens after half an hour of my workshop and, and people aren't enjoying themselves? <laughs> they're just going to start walking out and going to someone else's. Um, but I think it 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 maybe reflects our culture in the respect that we we can get things instantly. You get instant feedback. You get instant access to all this different type of resource that is out there and, and like Andy said the, at the start of this there was just we were just awash with so many webinars you couldn't really make sense of what was good what did I choose why did I choose that one how's it going to affect my coaching um and then and then based on what, what Doug said that that bit about well the stuff you sit at home and watch and listen to it can never really replace completely the, the stuff you do on the side of a side of a pool or the side of a, a pitch or a cork. And, and it got me thinking about, I guess, science to an extent. So if you look at science and how they perform experiments, you're in a lab. And maybe the environment that we're all in as coaches and coach developers at the moment, sat at our kitchen tables or in our offices or our living rooms, well, we're, we are completely removed from the environment where we do our coaching. It is almost like a laboratory condition. You've got your books, you've got your research journals, You've got the internet in front of you and you can access all this information and try and connect it together. But we all know that the environment is so important when it comes to coaching and supporting people. And if, if all of our learning is um, removed from the environment where we want to apply it, I think there's a really important role then for a coach developer or the people who help coaches to start to make sense of stuff and to join the dots and make the connections. Because otherwise, I think people might spiral off in lots of different directions and really struggle to um, adapt or apply some of the things that they've picked up or learned or, or invested time in, in learning about during this, during this last kind of nine months or so. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to draw a connection back into the, the sort of post-year, the Tim Ferriss stuff. Was actually, I, I think if you looked at, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have to go into the depth of that, but even just picking out, well, what were your top five bits of learning from the variety of different stuff? I mean, I have definitely two notebooks full of notes from stuff either we delivered or I was I was a participant on. Um, fortunately, one of them that was around uh, some of the stuff that Doug is, is going to talk about in a bit, so I've managed to go through some of those notes. And it's like, well, actually, yeah, what are the things that really stood out? And, you know, let's... Let's make sure, and whether that's with, with the support of someone else, and that's obviously where we see a hugely influential, important role for coach developers to enable to have that conversation. It might be a conversation that you have with someone else. These are the five things that really stand out. These are the five sessions I went on or the five people that I listened to. And these are the five things that actually, when I get back into, into coaching, into my environment, 
I'm going to have a go at. Not necessarily all at the same time, but um, because that might be somewhat chaotic. Um, but, you know, actually going through a review process of all of the stuff and filtering out, actually, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that was interesting at the time, but actually won't, I, I can't really, I can't really take and apply. And I think that is the crucial bit, you know, the, the, the turning experiences into application and learning from that and actually saying, well, yeah, on, on paper or actually in my ears, that sounded brilliant. And, you know, someone did a fantastic job. Actually, it hasn't worked with my group. Um, and that, that, will, that will be a very messy time as we get back onto our pitches and pools and the rivers and lakes. Um, and I do think that, that, you know, that role of someone to help that messiness and to help someone get through um, to help our coaches get through the well actually this isn't working and that's not quite how I thought that was going to go that's that's not a bad thing um, but it's quite an uncertain period and some coaches might might struggle with that a little bit so that's certainly you know not wanting to get on the pulpit and preach about coach developers but uh, that that important role to help someone through that messiness and, and not in a here's the solution, but just support them in saying, well, actually, it's not a bad thing. Okay. You know, why did that go wrong? Or, you know, could you try that? Or have you considered this just a sort of a prompting and supporting way? I, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I also think it's really key. If you do the exercise, or even if you don't, when you look back at all the stuff you engage with, just recognizing not every experience is going to change you. It can be a really positive experience. And it can be a really good experience, but actually I don't have to come away with something that's going to revolutionize my coaching or have a dramatic impact on me. And that's fine. I, I, I often wonder whether we kind of a lot of stuff, certainly more stuff than probably ever is now out there in the, the sphere and on the internet and everything else. And it's, it's all kind of, Oh, this could, this could help you and this can change you. And just, just enjoy it for what it is. If it doesn't, don't think oh, I've wasted my time listening to that podcast because it's it's not going to be something I'm now going to go away and deliver. Just go, it, it made me think. That That's probably enough, I think. Um, and, and being really comfortable with that as I see a lot of tweets and messages and things like, oh, well, you know, what what are you going to implement from this? Well, probably nothing. But but actually, that's that's perfectly OK. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Do, do you guys think, and this is kind of the last question, then I'll move it on. Do you think what's happened and the informal nature of a lot of the coach development might see the death of formal coach education as as it would kind of be delivered now it will have to change definitely do we think people might start turning away from a level one a level two maybe not the higher levels because they probably open some doors and, and people feel there's a greater need for them but do would if you're a new coach would you kind of go well, why would I go to the FA for a level one or the RFU for a level one when I can just go and get loads of other stuff from everywhere else? Or does it complement it? What are your thoughts around that? I'll happily jump in to kick us off. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the death of formal coach education because qualifications are the keys that open the doors into being able to go and coach an age group or find a job or whatever it might be. But I certainly think it's the evolution of coach development and the constraint that we've, I guess, had on us through COVID and lockdown has probably challenged sports or challenged organisations to think differently about what great learning looks like. Um, I'm, I'm on a course at the moment, um, and I would suggest that the, what, what's happened is that they've taken a face-to-face -face course, and rather than adapting 
the content and adapting the style. They've just tried to implement a face-to-face -face course, but do it on Zoom, um, which we all have found out over the last nine months or so that that doesn't necessarily always work. And, and some stuff does, but, but some, some of the things that you, you really need around um, coach education or, or learning, those kind of connections with people, the opportunity to bounce ideas around, um, just not being sat down staring at a screen for three or four hours in one go. Um, I think that, that sports will have to be really reflective and think about how they, how they design learning that is going to, going to kind of really land appropriately in, in a world where, again, people, people have experienced a whole raft of ways of taking on new information. So I think qualifications are still going to be really important. Um, no matter what what level people are working at, but I, I think that the way that they're delivered might might look a bit different in the future. Yeah, just building on what Tom was saying there, I, I think uh, those that are providing coach education that can be really adaptable and agile. I know those words that have been used a lot over the past nine months or so, um, but the way that you know you might intersperse face to face learning experiences with virtual sense-making communities of practice, uh, dropping things in that actually fill in the gaps between um, maybe face-to-face -face things rather than replacing. So it's not an either or, you know, as Doug mentioned before, it's an addition to, it's complementary, it's adding to the learning experience. And that's where I think uh, this could be, um, you know, a, a, an absolute sort of, step change for how we deliver coach education and makes it a whole lot more accessible and engaging and um possibly a bit more sexy than just going on a you know on a on a coach ed course where you go on to a residential and you spend two or three days and that's it it's actually you know it, it's more 20 uh uh 21st century in terms of well actually let's let's start to use what we've got at our fingertips here Let's really start to en engage our audiences in the way that they like to consume knowledge and the way that they, uh, and it's not just like to, but, you know, they have a preference for, and can we just incorporate all of those things in there? So, you know, we've learned about um, social learning on WhatsApp groups and creating communities and building networks and how those, you know, how actually some, possibly some of our younger coaches really like to engage in different ways. Um, and, and possibly some of our older coaches like to learn in different ways as well. But it's just being really creative about that. And I think that those uh, providers of learning and development that really embrace that and say, well, actually, we've got some real opportunities here. We, you know, almost some of the unintended consequences of COVID and the lockdown has provided us with some fantastic learning to say, this can make what we do way better than what we've done before because we've learned all of this new stuff. Um, and I think that what we want to avoid is just falling back into doing what we've done previously. I don't, I think we've had enough of enough of seeing actually lots of this, lots of what we've done has worked fantastically well, that we won't just revert back to the norm, but that almost would, would seem sort of insanity. We've, we've had, you know, 11 months of fantastic opportunity to, to create, be creative in this space. And I think, um, you know, long may that continue. I, I really hope that's your new email sign off. You know, UK coaching, making coach education sexy. That, that's got to be your line now, hasn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, myself and Tom, the face of that, uh, I, can, I can see it. I mean, we won't have any problem getting that through the sort of leadership team, I wouldn't have thought. 
No. So it's, on the, it's on the business card as well, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Andy is definitely the first person I've ever heard have the word sexy and coaching course in the same sentence. Doug, it's all about stretching our horizons. Here. <laughs> I think we've we've dipped into being quite sensible in this podcast uh, to actually starting to get into the bones of it. How do we make coach education sexier? That, that's what it's all about. Well, I was unfortunately going to make a fairly sensible addition to your wonderful contributions. So I'll just add in my sensible contribution. Uh, but it, it could also fall into that kind of creative, flexible thing as well, which is that um, I kind of, Tom said this much better than I'll say it, but um, there are many routes to achieve the same thing, I think is what we've learned through this. Um, so I know APL, RPL has been around for a long time. Uh, something that I've done a lot in canoeing is basically making a case to the governing body and saying, listen, rather than attending this core training, we did this instead in situ, or we did this, or we attended that, or we tapped into this, they've reflected on this and done that, which actually hits all the criteria you want them to hit. Can they now come straight in at assessment or come in at this stage? Uh, so I think actually that's one of the things that probably COVID has been quite good for is it's shown us that actually you can be a bit more flexible than maybe you thought you could be. And that would be a really cool thing. So one of the things canoeing's done really well is, is that you don't actually have to do everything in order. So you don't have to come in at one and then two and then three in some circumstances, you can come in at a certain level if that's appropriate to you. So I think for, there's always going to be a need for coaching qualifications. It, it's perhaps, can we get the right experience the right opportunity for the right person at the right time and maybe that's one of the nice things about the disruption of covid is we maybe had our our horizons open Andy. there i segued back to you um to doing things maybe slightly differently i love that you know could you be working across almost multiple levels at the same time and and just be ticking different boxes and be a, a level four or five at one thing but a level one at another I, yeah that's that's really interesting that will um yeah, that would be definitely give me something to think on. So great point. Uh, Tom, we're going to shift it on. We are coming to you. What is it you're going to uh, discuss? Okay, I feel the pressure now after after Andy's awesome, awesome um, offering to start. So um, I've bought a book, uh, Coaching Athletes to Be Their Best. Um, so it's written by um, a few authors um, who the vast majority of them um, don't, don't have a background in sport. Um, their, their background comes from supporting people who maybe have struggled with addiction or, or kind of um, have, a, have had a challenging past. And, and I guess the, the book is, is ultimately aimed at people wanting to enhance the relationships that they have with their athletes. Um, and that, that's why I was drawn to it. I was thinking, well, like, like most coaches, I want to make sure that how I connect and how I support and, and work with my athletes is as, as possibly as, as good as it can be. Um, and I think, well, there's always opportunities to go and learn stuff and, and find out more. And I think this, this book is written in a way that it's probably something that could live in a kit bag. It could come with you to every practice, every training session. Um, it certainly shouldn't live on a bookshelf because it's full of practical advice and tips and, and, and strategies for, connecting with and engaging with your athletes um, in a really practical sense. Um, so I, I suppose to, to kind of build, build on the explanation, the, the kind of the key mechanic which sits within the book is this, this concept called motivational interviewing. So it's almost a, a structure around how to have really, really meaningful conversations with people. So effectively, spending lots of time actively listening 
um, making some statements based on what you hear and then help guiding people forwards from there. And I guess ultimately it's about helping people look forwards um, and find the answers that they're looking for within themselves rather than you as the coach um, trying to fix deficits all the time. Because I think we've probably all been there as coaches. Um, we're out, we, we spot things which athletes are doing really well. We keep saying well done because we want to reinforce that type of behavior. Yet when they make a mistake, um, we, we, we stop stuff, we give them some advice and we, we get them going again and we praise them if they get it right. And, and I'm an advocate of that. I'm an advocate of being supportive and trying to help people get better. This book kind of really highlights the difference between affirmation and praise. So perhaps if we give praise really, really easily and we almost overindulge our athletes in that, um, then they become dependent upon us as a coach. They will do stuff because they're expecting a reaction from us as a coach to reinforce their behaviors or their actions. Whereas the change in language around affirmation, so you're, you're recognizing the effort that someone's gone to or the intention that they've shown and making observations around that rather than saying, well done for it. Actually, the, the approach shows that the, that, that can have a more of a long-term impact on, on the development of people because you haven't got that short-term action or behavior from the athlete um, response from the coach, action, response, action, response. It breaks that cycle. Um, so yeah, when, when I read the book and, and trying to think about how it, how it applied to my world, I think it was about how do I, how do I be really skillful in a conversation so I can help the person who I'm speaking to find a really positive way forwards from the problem they're facing um, without giving them the answer myself and, and actively listening and making, they call it in the book, listening statements. So you might listen to something that, that the person has said to you and then you almost summarize and bring together that a statement based on what they've said, which almost gives them permission to go a little bit deeper and to explore it a little bit further. And, and Steve, one of the, one of the authors, he, he connected with us at UK Coaching with some of the work that we're doing and, and, and used a great analogy around knocking on someone's front door. And he said, well, if, you, if you're asking someone a really good open question, it's, it's almost like knocking on someone's front door. If there's a good enough question, they'll, they'll let you in. But you wouldn't go into someone else's house and start rearranging their furniture because quite quickly they, they're going to kick you out. So it's about making observations and meeting people where they're at. Um, something else that really stood out to me within the book that really got me thinking and maybe feeling a little bit guilty at times was about the, the opportunity to ask questions where you just genuinely don't know what the answer is. Because I think sometimes as coaches, we, we, we play a little game of our athletes. It's a kind of a, right, how, how many attempts is it going to take, take you to... to um, to give me the answer that I've got in my head. If you can get there quickly, then that, that's gonna look really good for you. But how many times do we genuinely ask because we're really curious and we don't mind where the conversation goes? And I think that if we can approach conversations with our athletes with that mindset, then it, it just opens the door to building some really, really strong relationships. And when, when I've read it and looked at other stuff around, and. I, um, I'm going to bend, bend the rules slightly. I'm not going to bring any other content, but I think it, this, this links to, to other work and, and other studies and other things that, 
coaches can um, put in their toolbox and, and use. So if you think about, uh, there's work out there by um, a researcher called Sophia Jowett about coach-athlete relationships. And, and she kind of paints a framework around what are the really important things that underpin strong relationships. And there's some, some other work around at the moment around transformational coaching and transformational leadership. So different behaviors coaches can, can demonstrate and, 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 and do things they can do on a regular basis that builds trust, builds rapport, um, creates really strong connections. And I thought, well, actually, if you take, take the concept of motivational interviewing and where you can ask really good questions, you can listen really well, you can help point people in the right direction. And I think the powerful thing in this is, like I said earlier, helping people find the answers within themselves. But that tie that in with some almost co-creation and some co-orientation. We're doing this together. It's not me as the coach telling you, and it's not you, the athlete, making all the all the tough decisions. And then you think about your behaviors as a coach and how you live up to that on a day-to-day basis. I think you get a really powerful trio of 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 um, approaches to to make really authentic and long-term bonds and connections with people, which ultimately will build a great relationship, but also we'll have some pretty cool outcomes for for performance. And I suppose people just coming back to your sport again and again. I think there's loads to unpick in there. And I guess the first thing I'd jump into is the, I go back and it's longer ago than I'd like to think now, me as a young coach, but actually I would hear lots of people say, oh, they're a really good coach, they're just not a people person. And it always struck me with this kind of, well, how can they be a good coach? If, you, if you're not about people and you can't engage with people, then is that not the point? And I, I still wonder, and this is a big generalization, I do wonder about the picture some people have of coaching. And you talked about that deficit. Is, is it always trying to find what's wrong and correcting that? Is it always around the, the tech tech stuff? And is maybe there's been a sea change in, in the last, you know, couple of years but actually is there more work to be done in in people understanding i'm thinking i guess maybe kind of more grassroots coaches new coaches those types of people coming into this going actually coaching fundamentally is is it's all about people the technical detail i can probably pick up a little bit later but i can be a good coach by just having really good relationships and asking good questions and all the things you kind of talked about there yeah i think something that's really um really exciting is that I guess sometimes people call it these soft skills and and things but actually this is stuff that you can identify you can you can review and reflect on and get better at which I think is really exciting it's not just you, you you've got it or you haven't to have those skills to be able to engage with people and meet them where they're at that's a phrase we kind of use quite a lot at UK coaching well I think I think they're incredibly important but that you can develop them, you can help people improve. And there was a coach developer who, who I worked with a lot when I was at the FA, a guy called Pete Sturges, who um, used the analogy with me about being the coach just being that filter. So you can have all these ideas and information and technical expertise, but when you're coaching an eight-year-old, they just need to know the most important piece of information that's going to help them at that moment in time. <laughs> and something else he said was about well, actually sometimes making no intervention is an intervention in itself. So actually you can have all this knowledge, but if you just make a deliberate choice not to say anything right now, that could be the best coaching you do today. 
And I, I think I think there's something really powerful in that. And and there was something you just just sparked a memory for when you were talking about um, sometimes as as coaches we look for the, the bits that people aren't so good at and try and correct them. And in the book it it kind of articulates around really looking at people's strengths and helping people um, make use of their strengths to navigate these challenges or the boundaries that they're facing rather than highlight the bits they're not good at and, and almost hammer them home. So uh, I, think, I think there's so much in, in almost the, the skills of a coach to create really meaningful connections. I do wonder the more we talk about this, uh, is it something people potentially shy away from because it's really complicated and because you probably can get this stuff wrong more often than you'd like to admit. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if I have a choice as a coach, as a young coach, I'll have definitely spoken to, to coaches where they go, I'd rather, you know, learn about the, the, the technical side of the game or the tactical side of the game, because there's probably a definitive, there's probably a right answer to that. Whereas with a conversation around a relationship, there's never a right answer. You know, mood changes. There's so many intangibles. Again, I open this up to, to all of you. What would your experiences be of, uh, have you come across those types of coaches? Do you think that that is something people might, or oh, I haven't got time for, for conversations and relationships, but I've got time to, to learn more about, you know, free kick routines or, or line outs or anything of that. Go on, Doug, you look like you're going to say something. I was desperate trying not to talk over Andy in case he wanted to go first. Do you want to go first, Andy? <laughs> he's giving me that look. Um, he's probably laughing at me because he knows that I have almost always worked in sports that I don't know anything about. Um, so I suppose, I ha- and that is, is a good thing. And I recommend if you haven't done it before to go and do it because um, you know, if you're a swimming coach, you're a hockey coach, you're a football coach, rugby coach, whatever, you can never turn up to that sport and not look at the technicalities of that sport, right? You, it's, you, you have a filter. It's like reading. You can't not read once you know how to read. Um, but see, when you're not from it, you notice other things that are around that are going on in, in that in that space, I suppose. So um, so then when you turn up to an environment to work with a coach, well, they're pretty aware that you're unlikely to enlighten them on the nuances of um, of coaching upstream blade technique or whatever, because you've got no idea what that is. I mean, you know, and actually that can almost that can disarm and almost start those conversations um, that might be a bit deeper. I mean, one of the most um, eye-opening, it was highly disruptive for me at the time experiences I had was uh, observing a coach who was coaching it was in Italy and the whole session was in Italian obviously and I, I don't speak Italian um, at the end of words and he spoke English he spoke to me afterwards and he said oh can you give us some feedback on the session please and I was like well I've got absolutely no idea it was, it was volleyball as well and I don't know much about volleyball but actually I said well I've got a couple of observations which had nothing to do with the volleyball or what was being said but I said I've, I've got this feeling it's kind of Tom's point earlier that you were like doing this section of practice, and then you were asking a question. He goes, "How do you know you ask questions?" I said, well, your voice went up at the end. He went, "Oh yeah, yeah, I was asking questions." And then, um, then they looked blankly at you. Said, "Yeah, yeah, that's right." And then you answered the question for them. He said, "Yeah, that's right." And I said, "I'm, I'm just wondering if those were your intentions." And, uh, and then he's, he said, "No, no, that wasn't my plan to do at all." And I was like, "All oh, right, okay." And then we had a dialogue around how you might do that. So it just sort of showed me that I suppose if you turn up with really, really blank filters when you're working with people, it's amazing what you can get into even when you don't know very much. I would be fascinated to know though from Andy, uh, when, you, when you know loads about the sport and they know you know loads about the sport, but you can turn up and you go, actually, I really don't think technical knowledge is an issue here. We need to talk about soft skills as Tom put it or whatever. How do you get over that barrier? I'm fascinated. Doug, and I'd, I'd, I'd link back to Phil's point about, you know, 
do coaches crave an element of certainty and control? I, I certainly think there is. There are plenty of coaches that that like um, that like an element of control and struggle with the uncertainty or possibly the the disruption or uh, the the feeling that things are maybe um, out of their hands. So players are exploring stuff, maybe problem solving without them being the person that's providing the solutions. Um, and that can be, you know, when you work in a coach developer role, supporting a coach with that, that can be a really challenging period because it's sort of almost unlocking Pandora's box for someone. It's like, well, actually, this is a whole different way of coaching. It's not just me that's coming here and, and directing or telling. Actually, it's enabling players to start to make decisions, um, to start to learn with each other and collaborate. And then through that process, you know, hopefully you know, you start to move to a position where, well, there might be co-collaboration where coaches start to work with players in identifying challenges and coming up with solutions and really starting to work together. Um, your point about relationships, and I think the, the complexity of coaching, and when you speak to someone who doesn't, you know, isn't involved in coaching, I always sort of remember you know, you know, turn the clock back to when I first started to get involved in coaching quite some time ago. And it was almost like before coaching became somewhat more of a professionalized um, role. It's like, well, yeah, that just must be really fun just going out and coaching on a field. You're in the sun. It must be really easy. And it's like, well, no, it's really complex. And I think we've been able to move people on to understanding that you're dealing with lots of different individuals with lots of different contexts and situations and life challenges uh you know and you, you look at you know the role that i played for quite some time in a you know in an age group setting you've got 16 17 18 year old girls or boys so much stuff going on that might have a massive impact on what they're doing on a hockey pitch or in a canoe or on a football pitch and the only way you find out those things is by talking to them um but actually, that's the one thing that quite a number of coaches don't do or won't do or don't consider doing enough of. You know, I've had a quick check in, right? That's enough. But, you know, has actually, you know, it's almost like asking that six six questions of why. It's like, oh, you know, why were you late? It's like, oh, because my my alarm clock went, you know, didn't go off. It's like, well, why didn't you set that or why? And you suddenly get to the root cause of the problem, you know, but that takes time. Um and that sometimes is an excuse that coaches don't have enough time to do that, which I appreciate. You know, coaching is a time-consuming thing. Um, but to really unpick the complexity of all of the people that you're coaching and all of their different situations, that's where the relational skills and what Tom was talking about, going back to the motivational interviewing thing, you know, really listening with empathy you know, and asking, having conversations to listen, not just to reply, so to link into you know, Stephen Covey's work around, well, actually, I'm listening to actually understand where you're coming from. Not for me just to say the next thing. Um, not for me just to, okay, well, when's the next time that I can interact in this conversation? No, you know, what, I'm, what we're having this conversation for is to find out about you. You know, what's happening in your world in a, you know, in a 16-year-old world is like, well, well, if they were actually in school, but, you know, what's happening with exams? What's happening with you know, different sports, what's going on at home. And then some of those conversations might never be forthcoming initially, but you might develop, um, you might develop over time. And that gives you that insight to then build that relationship and the trust. Um, 
And I think just just linking back to Tom's point, having seen Stephen Rolnick um, in action, you know, and, and he's a fantastic practitioner, you know, just when you actually try and work on some of the things that he talks about, actually, what seems so simple is actually quite difficult and requires a whole lot of practice. So the affirmations thing that Tom talked about and possibly not asking so many questions, being able to reflect back on the person you're speaking to, they're really quite difficult and challenging conversational skills. But when you learn to do them really well, just genuinely engages who you're talking to in a much more empathetic way. And, you know, and the results that you get out of that mean that your relationships and your development of trust and rapport and respect and all those things that every coach would like to have, but possibly doesn't get because they don't invest in much time in, in having good quality conversations suddenly start to come to the fore. Tom, I'm going to circle that back around to you if I can, just to touch on the, you, you talked earlier about the um, open open questions that you genuinely don't have an answer to. And, and this is this is definitely one of my big work-ons. It's, it's something I'm really poor at just because for a long time it would have it would have been exactly that you know you're you're trying to get them to where you think they need to be so you've got an answer that they almost need to you know that tick box which is probably why communication is the answer to 99% of the questions we ask as coaches because players just know it's a tick box answer so what what was your experience of trying to implement that I'm thinking for coaches that might listen to this and that may have kind of similar similar challenges any any top tips any advice any experiences that you've got around how you went about doing that and and what the experience was like uh, if i'm honest phil i think it's something i'm practicing um I, and I'm, I'm certainly i wouldn't call myself skillful at this uh, i guess i'm i'm an i'm an I'm, I'm just trying stuff out and making probably quite a whole load of mistakes along the way um i suppose when I've gone in, so in my coaching context, I'm working with an adult women's team, fairly good level. And because they have all been playing for some time and have had lots of different experiences of coaching, if I drop in and just chat to a player after a practice and I say, do you know what, why, why did you choose to take the player on then? That the, there is, I think, this stigma that there's an agenda behind that question, that... that if I'm asking with sincere curiosity, it's going to take quite a lot of work for me to get to a point where they actually agree or, or can see, see that it is being asked with curiosity rather than being asked with an answer in mind. Um, so I suppose some, something that I tried at, at a practice um, before, before the latest lockdown, uh, our, our left winger um, was, was having trouble recognizing a trigger in front of her when when was the best time to go and press the center back uh when the center back was in possession and we were just walking off to the side of the pitch between parts of the practice and she said well i i, I decided to move forward at that point and it didn't work but then when i changed my approach it did work so when is the best time to go and press and i, I kind of i thought well if, I, if i'm totally honest and being honest with you guys um I genuinely didn't know the answer to the question. I, I, I don't, I, I can't, I thought, if I say I don't know to her, she'll probably think I've got zero credibility as a coach. So I, I tried to turn it around and I said, well, what, what do you think? Em? You, you've, you've been doing that for the last 20 minutes. What, what are your reflections on what's really effective? So she talked talk in a bit more detail around when it worked and when it didn't work. And it gave me the opportunity to 
just like Andy said, um, reflect some of this back to her, just recognize some of the things she was saying, some of the language she was using and, and almost picking up as well on, on her body language while she was saying it. She obviously got, she was feeling pumped about winning the ball back and making the right decision at times, but she needed, she almost just needed a little bit of support to believe in herself that she could continue to do that and that agency to, to, to make that decision for herself rather than me as the coach giving her permission to do that. Um, and for me, that's probably been the most effective time when, when I've tried this um, because actually the player initiated the conversation and I was able to try and help her see the answer within herself rather than me initiating it and then thinking, hang on a minute, where's the catch? That's fascinating. I'm really, I'm really pleased to hear that because that's exactly, a, you know, very similar experience and exactly the same challenge I've faced in, in trying to implement this is they, they think there's always an agenda. And, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I, I always find it then really interesting. And I liken it to the Wizard of Oz and the wizard behind the curtain. Well, how much do we show players behind the curtain? Do, do I come out and say, as part of my work ons, I'm going to ask you questions I do not have an answer for? So if I'm really upfront and explicit with that, does that help me? Does actually that just then put them at ease a little bit more that they're going to go, oh, it, you know, I, they might second guess it and start going, no, he's definitely always going to have an answer. He's just telling me he doesn't to get me to open up. I guess either way, it probably works in my favour. But I wonder, you know, again, are these the types of things we might just need to be a little bit more upfront with players around that these are the skills I want to work on or this is something I think is beneficial. I'm going to make you aware of this rather than kind of keep it a secret, keep it in the toolbox. There's, there's always going to be some stuff we don't want to tell them. But actually, would maybe is this one of them we want to be really clear clear around? And again, just just interesting people's thoughts. So I do have a yeah, it's a, just a great great discussion. We could be here for another hour, unfortunately. I think um, one of the things that I've been having a lot of conversations with coaches about recently is is just really around contracting at the start of sessions. So as the session starts, uh, what are our roles here today? Now, if you're the athlete, it's probably fairly obvious what you're your role is but actually what are you working on say what, what do you want to get better at and then what I'm seeing some really good coaches doing is saying and, and how would you like me to help help you with that and what do you want from me today and and then going to the next stage of saying well as a team as a collective what are all of our roles today so if, even if it's like a very more linear sport like can you sprint where they're going in a straight line well actually we know normally you wouldn't paddle with this group because they're a bit quicker than you. you're going to have to maintain pace because this group doesn't stay together. We're not going to achieve these outcomes. Oh, okay, right. So in order for us to do that, how are we going to achieve those things? And so actually just being really clear at the outset of that session, what is it, what is it we're trying to achieve and what's our rules? So if, and it might well be, you know, you have a discussion about, well, what kind of feedback do you want? How much feedback do you want? When do you want it, et cetera? And so one that might be, Doug, I'd actually just like to be really quiet while we're doing this particular section so we can do this, this and this. But they might say, actually, I want interrupted feedback at this point to tell me if I'm doing this or not doing this or whatever it might be, but it's contracted before we start rather than we're just diving in all over the place. Does that kind of make sense? So that's one of the things that I'm kind of playing around with and working with at the moment, but it's definitely not a finished article. Yeah, I think building on Doug's point there, you know, a slightly different way of contracting might just be just to talk about what does great look like today for us? And that might be great for the players, but it also might be great for the coach and actually just share, you know, as you said just before, Phil, these are the things that I'm going to be working on. This is how I'm going to try and be great today. So it's not, 
it's not someone, you know, there's not this second guessing exercise. You're being transparent about the process, but are you also showing an element of vulnerability in terms of this is what I'm working on? Uh, and I think by by doing that, you're starting to, uh, you know, you're starting to touch on some of the things that Tom spoke about, like transformational leadership. Actually, what you know, what are you looking to try and do with your group of players and with you as as coach of a group? But it's not just about you leading from the front there is actually you being part of a learning process and sharing that you're on a journey, a learning journey as just as much as the players, but this is what their expectations of you might be. So it's, uh, you know, I, I mean, when you were talking, Phil, previously, it's like, well, what's the worst that could happen if you did share that that was a work on for you? It's like, well, yeah, players might start second guessing, but that actually might not be a bad thing. It's like, you know, that uncertainty could create some really, really interesting discussions. Um, I think it's just coaches being prepared to, to you know, challenge that status quo, do things a little differently, stretch themselves, challenge themselves, um, and explore. It might be contracting. It might be setting some expectations. It might be talking with players around what are their expectations. Um, but by doing that, they're, they're putting themselves out there. They're doing things differently than possibly what they've always done before. Yeah, just, just, just one, one final thing, if that's all right. Um, I agree, Doug. We could speak for ages about this. Um, it's that, that, that question about what do you want from me today to, to your athletes and I, I do question sometimes actually how many times athletes have genuinely asked that and I've tried that a few times within the coaching I'm doing and, and you, you get a few kind of blank faces looking at you thinking oh, hang on a minute um, but it, it struck me earlier this season I was having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with one of the players fairly young player in the squad and I said to her look what do you want from me and the other coaches in this environment uh, and her response was, I just want you to tell me what I have to do. Um, and inside, I was going, oh, no, I don't want that. I, I, I really want a player who, who's curious about stuff and is open to trying things out. And the more I reflected on it, I thought, do you know what? That's all right. That's fine. Because that's, that's uh, an outcome of some of the experiences she's had of coaching and playing up until this point. So... I can't just go and drop in loads of transformational coaching behaviors and motivational interviewing because you'll think I'm barking mad. And she certainly won't buy into the process. And I think with all this stuff, it's about finding the bits which are really going to land well in your environment and playing around with them because transformational coaching in the environment I'm working with, with some of the constraints I've got around the experiences players have had, it's probably going to look really different in different people's worlds in different contexts. So it's about making it fit in, in your world in a way where you're going to dial up the impact. I think that's a great point. And I think Andy mentioned earlier, you know, the terminology, meet people where they're at. And for me, that that's probably one of the biggest skills to have. Can I, can I coach individually 20 or 30 people within a group session? And if any of you have got the secret on how to do that, let me know, because, you know, I'd pay a lot of money for that. But yeah, so I am conscious of time. Um, so we we will leave this one there. But uh, and shifted on Doug, we are going to come to you to uh, last point. What are what are we looking at? Yeah, I was two great shares to start with. So I hope I can uh, can get even close to those two. Uh, I feel like this is like show and tell Christmas this is my Christmas present because this is how cool I am in my world. Um, this is the Kinevan book that came out last year. Probably Andy and Tom have already got their own copies. Um, they also brought Dave Snowden behind the Kinevan framework uh, to UK coaching. So they're, they're probably down with this already, but uh, I'll see what they want to say. So I guess I became interested in 
systemic thinking, thinking in systems a couple of years ago. And I suppose to some extent stumbled across um, this framework. It's Kinevin, is how it's pronounced. I'm not Welsh, but that is how you pronounce it. The guy who made it is very passionate to pronounce it properly. Um, and I suppose one of the critiques of it is that it can be a bit of a high threshold to get your head around some of the language behind it. But actually, once you get over that little threshold, I've just found it um, continually useful uh, as, as a concept. So I'll walk people through it in just a second. Um, I find it particularly useful in the last 12 months when we are navigating uncertainty uh, uh, in a way we never have before to have some kind of framework that is designed to help us make sense of where we might be right now. So uh, very hard to explain things with words when it's usually is a very visual thing, but I'll do my best. And I will, of course, share, the, share one of the videos from it uh, later on. So um, I suppose the framework starts from a place of, of disorder that generally we're in disorder trying to figure out where we are right now like what's what kind of space are we in at the moment Dave has uh, updated that recently to two different kinds of being lost one is confusion which is when we're accidentally lost and that's probably a bad thing and one what's term called aporia which means to be at a loss which is that we're purposefully in disorder because we're because we want to just explore where we might be right now so that's in the middle of the framework he then took order systems, complex systems, and chaotic systems and made it into a really nice framework. He split uh, ordered systems into simple or now clear or, and complicated, um, but they're both ordered systems. We still have cause and effect in both uh, complex systems and chaotic. So we've got kind of four quadrants and with disorder in the middle, and disorder is very, very important that we're there. And I've just, I found it an internally useful tool actually for last week while trying to make sense of things. So. The simple space, so the clear space, we have cause and effect. Um, so swimming pools right now, kids go into, we follow regulations, we have best practice there, right? We can say you stand two meters apart, you wear a mask and we take your temperature and all that. We can follow process. Failing to follow process there is probably a bad idea. So I'm gonna suggest that when we're, we're, in a, we're in a simple space, we simply sense what's going on, we categorize it and we respond appropriately. And um, to not follow best practice when it is there is probably a bad idea. Um, in the same way that, you know, using a fire extinguisher is, is like a procedural thing. I'm going to suggest exploring the use of a fire extinguisher when there's a fire running around is probably a bad idea. So, so that's the simple space or the clear space, Dave's now called it. Um, the top right corner is the complicated space. We still have cause and effect. We can still decide that if we do this, we'll probably get this. But there may be multiple ways of doing that. Uh, and so a lot, of our, a lot of things in coaching can sit in the complicated domain. So things like uh, diagnosing faults and strokes or sensing what's going wrong where we're kind of diagnosing things that are happening that probably in the complicated domain mostly not, not always um we need some expertise though so you know for example if andy was coaching me swimming and Andy's an expert swim coach and i've got a screw kick well there's probably 20 ways you could fix that but with a little bit of expertise andy knows number four is probably the best today whereas the beginner wouldn't know that they'd have to try all 20 so in the complicated space we've got um a little, little bit of expertise required in order to help us uh, get to the outcome, but there is, there is definitely a better way of doing this. We then move into the complex space where we no longer have cause and effect, or it's only obvious what we should have done after the fact. Uh, anybody who has children or involves in parenting or involved in relationships lives in the complex space. Well, Andy's smiling. He's like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, cause and effect relationships uh, don't always exist and things are entangled and things are, you know, we have to kind of do what's called this idea of probe, evaluate, probe, evaluate. And we kind of do these little experiments to see, did that work? It's kind of what Tom was chatting earlier, like, oh, I tried that. And then this didn't really work. And I tried that. And then I tried, oh, okay, fine. And we have to keep keep doing that until we get something we can, we can use. 
Um, what we need to avoid doing in that space is trying to oversimplify it, which, which is very tempting. We at some point want to kick it into the complicated domain, but we need to embrace it in that space there. And then the fourth space is the chaotic space, which is a ch the children's birthday party when you give them too many Skittles. Children are acting at random. Don't try and control it. Um, it's just going mad. We can go into that space for experimentation. So rugby is a really good example of that. I've seen some rugby coaching where we effectively create a chaotic space for a period of time to see how the players cope with that. And then we move back out of that once we've explored that. Uh, if we are there by accident, which happens sometimes when people who are very used to using simple systems try and apply that in a non-simple environment, we can fall off the cliff edge and end up in the chaotic space. It's a bit of a summary of a very, I mean, it's a massive book and there's a lot in there. I recommend it because it's got lots of good stories and examples of using it, but I've just found it um, an eternally useful thing to do when I'm trying to make sense of, um, of what's, what's going on around me and particularly useful just now. So I guess, uh, other than being aware of the situation you're in, do, do, do they talk about certain skills that will benefit you within each of those spaces? Is there, you know, almost a toolbox for each of them that, that means you can be better at operating within that? Or is it more the self-awareness piece of, I know I'm in a complex space, this is how I would operate to either simplify or challenge or change or whatever you might need to do? Yeah, I would say more the latter. And obviously, Dave Snowden is very accessible, by the way, if you want to ask him questions, he's very happy to answer them. As long as you're sort of vaguely respectful, he's quite happy. Um, I was, yeah, the data precedes the framework, not the framework precedes the data. So uh, what the framework is designed to do is uh, is for you to, I guess, I guess, help navigate it, navigate where you might be right now. So rather than saying, in this space, you should do this, other than to say that we may have good practice in a simple space, we may have... Uh, sorry, best practice in simple space, good practice in a, a complex space or emergent practice or exaptive, he's now called it, just to give us more words to have to learn. Um, but emergent practice, uh, you know, and then anything we do in the chaotic space is novel practice. So that would just give us an indication of the kind of practice we would expect to be doing. I suppose it's really interesting. I guess if we go full circle in this conversation, just reflecting something Tom and Andy said earlier. Coaches, I guess a lot of the time have a real need or a desire to have some kind of control and order over what's what's going on. Um, the problem is, you know, particularly in team sports, it's highly complex. You know, there are lots of things happening at the same time and one change here won't necessarily give you this change here and lots of things are happening at once. And so a lot of the practice for the players is emergent and therefore you're practicing to be emergent. The problem is we can, might get coaches who want to apply a simple process because that feels very comforting. And actually the struggle is then getting people to um, get comfortable in that in that complexity and to embrace that rather than trying to re reduce it down I guess. Um, yeah my mind jumped straight to a number of players that I've coached previously that would be they, they you know Tom's example earlier they probably would be in that just please can you tell me what to do and when you kind of then you know meet there and go no I can't I can't because I'm not playing the game for you you're going to have to step out of this at some point and you know you, you then put them in an environment where it is slightly chaotic and, and it is complex and you just watch them and, and I, I do love the, uh, Russell Earnshaw talks about a wobble moment and, and I love that term <laughs> because you can just see the brain go oh I'm really not comfortable now what, what do I do in this space how do I how do I regain control how do I manage my experience or, or and I mean I've genuinely seen players walk out of sessions and and that was a very interesting conversation afterwards of okay well wh why did you just remove yourself completely and that's that's a pretty extreme and I I would argue it wasn't an overly stressful 
session i wasn't thinking like this wasn't designed to to get people so uncomfortable they were walking out and and it, it, it was just a really honest reflective conversation that they just couldn't manage for that long in that space and i'd be interested how, have you guys had similar experiences how, how would you deal with those people that maybe want to live in one box that are being stretched or pushed or how would you go about stretching or pushing them to be productive um effective in in some of those other environments yeah i, I would tend to I think we must have used the word balance at some point uh, in in this evening's conversation. But you know, you, you, know, you could you could talk through another you know quadrant diagram around safe uncertainty, um, which might explore some of the same things around sort of the chaotic chaos environment. So someone working in the um, unsafe, uncertain quadrant of that might be very very chaotic. Um, and there might be a need at sometimes to be a little bit safe and certain with something that you're doing in the session, just to provide a bit of a handrail, provide a bit of support and not to overstretch yourself. But, and that, that again, unfortunately leads me of course back around to the role of the coach developer in, in, in helping provide some support. So it might be, you know, if you are working with a coach that might struggle with some of that disruption and some of that chaos to say, right, well, we'll identify a particular time when we might actually give the session over to the players and that they can explore some stuff and they can do some problem solving, which you might be really, really uncomfortable with, but that's only for a certain amount of time. And on either side of that, you can have something that you're a bit more comfortable with. that's a bit more secure. Um, and then you start to stretch those moments. And over time, actually sessions might start to be much more player led, but you're not, throwing someone in at the deep end of just immersing themselves in in overly complex or chaotic environments that there is there is an element of certainty but that's just that's just getting the balance right and supporting someone to understand what that feels like and that loss of control isn't a bad thing um it it, it might feel like because it might feel very different than everything that you've experienced before and possibly everything if you were a player and you had a coach that was very directive and you know that's 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 what your biography is informing you is actually that's what coaching is about it's about staying in control of things actually it's like well as we've mentioned on a number of occasions well sport is complex relationships are complex coaching is complex so run with that you know be be open to to what the you know where things might go in a session but if you've never done that before it's going to feel quite uncomfortable so you know, getting comfortable with uncomfortable is a phrase that's used from time to time. You know, that's, that's a really interesting thing, but actually, and then just talking about it afterwards, you know, how did that feel? You know, how can you get used to that feeling? How can you embrace it? And how can you get sort of positive energy from that rather than it being a drain? And, you know, you worrying about what's going to happen next. Actually, you know, that question of what's going to happen next is really exciting. You know, the players will solve something that, you possibly had in your mind that this was the solution to this thing, but then the players come up with an entirely different solution. It's like, fantastic. You know, I would never have come up with that. that that's, that's the most interesting session, but for some coaches that might be the most fearful situation. So it's helping people sort of navigate that uh, and supporting them. When, um, when Andy talks about safe uncertainty, which I've heard him kind of talk about numerous times, it generally brings me back to a really vivid memory about coaching in prison. So I've been really fortunate to spend some time coaching coaching in women's prisons. Um, 
which has probably been among some of the richest experiences I've ever had working with other people. Um, and I'll be honest, <clears throat> that wouldn't be what I expected before I stepped into that environment. But helping people experience some of that safe uncertainty in an environment where the people that you're supporting probably feel incredibly vulnerable, rely a huge amount on structure and rules. When, when you introduce some, some coaching stuff and some stuff where they're not in control of everything that's going on, when they perhaps feel like they should be, is, in, is terrifying to some people. And, and so I'll, I'll kind of paint the picture. I was working in a women's prison just on the outside of London and uh, we were delivering it like an adapted uh, FA level one course. Um, so we were spending some time in the classroom talking about, um, I guess, some, some coaching stuff, but hidden in that was some communication skills and resilience and all, all these kind of life skills that people would, would need to almost develop and, and need some support with. And, and then going outside and, and playing some football and each of the women would, would be supported to, to deliver a practice. And I remember the first time I went in and not having any experience at all of being in this environment, gave one of the ladies a, a session card almost if you like to try and try and deliver this practice and went and stood on the other side of the pitch and said look off you go don't worry about making a mistake she never, she never received that 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 comment that was just felt tokenistic to her um go and have a go and 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 it just bombed it, it, it went down really badly because she felt so far away from what was comfortable and as a coach or a coach developer I'd probably put myself in a position where physically I wasn't accessible. I'd gone and sit on the other side of the pitch. And, and she was so far away from what felt safe, it, it just didn't work, it didn't happen. But actually, for a bit of reflection on myself and a bit of rapport and trust building with, with that person and, and these women, actually, you, you could set out and help them go and facilitate and deliver some coaching activities. But just be there on, on their shoulder that if something wasn't going as they expected, they could just turn and ask for some help. Or you could just give them a little smile and a thumbs up to say, this is going all right, isn't it? And, and that was reciprocal and it just, it spiraled in a really positive way because when they had the, just that glimmer of, oh, they listened to me or they enjoyed that, someone's smiling in a practice that I'm running, they just got that, you know, you know what it's like. You get that buzz after a coaching session. For them, it must have felt like a, an atom bomb of that buzz because they'd never experienced anything like it. And all of a sudden, you're building all this trust and rapport and, and these relationships that then people are willing to take just a slightly bigger step into that uncertain space the next time. And for, for me, you, you, you saw loads of these wobble moments, but you, you, you're constantly navigating between stuff which is incredibly complex, at times incredibly complicated and chaotic, but, but you're helping people find their feet in, in, in an environment which is really quite testing and quite extreme. So yeah, that just sprang to mind about, yeah, that safe uncertainty and the, the role a coach or a coach developer can play, even if it's really subtle, the role they play in helping people feel brave enough to try something out.
I have to say that's now one of my favourite conversations to get into with a coach or a player is, you know, what is your level of exposure to challenge? Do, do you want to dial that up or do you want to dial that down? And then how much support from me do you need? And, and just those couple of questions of, of trying to them explaining where their boundaries currently are, I find so useful because it, it's just that real... I don't think people are too concerned. It's not, it's not something I've experienced that they want to withhold so that you can get to an answer pretty quickly. And actually then being in a position where once I know that, can I adapt my delivery to, to really get some quick wins with you by going, I know this is on your threshold. This is, this is going to push your boundary. But again, almost coming back to that contracting, you've asked for loads of support in doing this. So as you said, Tom, I'm going to be, I'm going to be right here when, when you have a wobble or you get frustrated or you fail because failure is definitely going to be a huge part of this. Then we can have that conversation and I can help you through it and you can help yourself through it and all that type of stuff. And I've just found it's, it's a, it's a really direct way rather than that. I'll stand back for a few weeks and watch them and try and work it out. Well, if, if my session doesn't ever stretch them because I don't know where their boundary is, I probably don't learn anything. And actually, I just, I've just definitely found it's a quicker route to, to getting to some of those outcomes quite, yeah, just, just a little bit more effectively, I guess. So um, my last question is, again, I'm, I'm conscious of time now that it's, uh, it's ticking away. Um, what would your guys' best advice be for someone that doesn't necessarily have access to a... Um, either a uh, kind of NGB based coach developer or UK coaching or something like that. If you don't have a formal relationship or informal relationship with a coach developer, who can they use? How can they go about having similar types of conversations? What would you guys say are the, the, the easy wins there for people to, to develop, develop those kind of skills and conversations? Well, I mean, I think there's lots of different ways to, to, to get better at coaching and lots of different ways to reflect on your practice. So I'm going to let my learned colleagues uh, give me some of the ones I've missed. But I would say that um, ultimately, the, a lot of the work we do is that of a critical friend. And a critical friend is somebody that is uh, absolutely on your side, is trying to help you get better and is invested in your development. But is also allowed to tell you when you're being a bit of an idiot uh, or when you, could, you, when you could do a bit better. And that critical friend doesn't have to be a coach developer that you know that could be somebody who knows what you do a bit about what you do but someone who's um gonna support you and all turn to sessions and so on or, or just listen to you and and so on so um yeah my advice would be to there's a lot of people who are your critical friends who's in your who's in your network of people you talk to the most and actually write that list down because people never write it down and going so who are your critical friends who are the people that are that can do that and actually invariably you find that they've got quite a number of people that would be absolutely brilliant um, or if they don't, then that, of course, provokes even better conversation, which is the where might you find these people or, or why haven't you never engaged in that space before? Um, so, yeah, that would be my, my answer is uh, go find yourself a critical friend. And when you find them, hold on to them because they're uh, unbelievably valuable as you as you go along. I think my probably quite short answer to that is is find some individuals who will provide you with a different perspective. So, um I had the fortune of coaching my daughter's junior football team for a couple of years, last last couple of years. And you look at, you know, sometimes you look at, well, actually, what, what does coaching in a community setting look like? I don't, I don't, if I hadn't have been involved in my professional network, I wouldn't have had a coach develop. I wouldn't have had access to that. I would be, you know, doing a, a, a participatory, you know, football coaching role. Um, but who are the people still in that environment? So possibly the parents, possibly 
some of the other people who are volunteering, maybe some of the other coaching roles, maybe the sort of the, uh, the chairman of the club actually just saying, well, you know, what did you think about that? And being open to ask that question, I think being vulnerable enough to ask a question about, well, actually, what did you think of that? Being prepared to listen to the answer, not just discount it because it's not, it's either not supporting your view or it's not, it's not saying what you want to hear. Um, and that then links to, to Doug's point about, well, actually, if you're short of people to ask, it's being creative in terms of, well, how are you, who else can I talk to? To And it might not be, they might not be from coaching. That's actually the person that might be able to provide you with the best different perspective. It might be your partner. It might be a friend. It might be just actually, this is a situation I was having, you know, if we were able to go to a pub and have a pint, you know, just talk through, actually, this is just something that cropped up in my coaching. You know, what do you think? Because they might have experience in their professional world. You know, they might be an HR manager and it's like, well, actually, you know, this is what I do. And then you get the insight that that possibly you hadn't done. And I think it's been being prepared to have conversations, but be most prepared to listen to what people are saying to you and start to think, actually, what's relevant, what's not. Um, you know, grow that network, but but be prepared to have those conversations. So step out of that comfort zone a little bit. So well, actually, I, I just want to know what you think. Uh, my, my answer is at risk of repeating what Doug has said and what Andy has said. Um, I, when you asked it, Phil, I, I've made a couple of notes on the pad in front of me. And I think the first thing I wrote down was anyone can support another coach. It's not about hierarchy. It's about having a relationship with someone else. So very similar to what Andy said, I think, yeah, it's being bold enough to ask someone what they think, but then being brave enough to better listen to what they have to say. Um, I think that's huge. And then, and then rewinding half an hour or so back into our conversation about um, supporting someone from a sport where you have no idea what's going on. Well, asking someone who maybe doesn't know much about coaching could almost be like a borrowed superpower to you because they might just have a, have a completely different point of view or the ability to ask that killer question um, that they, they can ask because they're not entrenched in your world, I think is huge. So I think anyone can support another coach. Um, it's just about being open to, to what that support could feel like um, when, when you're faced with maybe what they're, 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 they're gonna tell you. Awesome. I think they're brilliant answers and hopefully useful advice for anyone that is looking for that kind of uh, that kind of feedback and that input. So thank you very much. Um, we will jump to what content are you recommending? So quick fire. Um, I know there's some good stuff lined up for this. So uh, Andy, we'll come back to you. What is it that you want people to take a look at? Um, it's one of Tim Ferriss's. So I'm linking back to Tim Ferriss's stuff. Um, I mean, when I looked at it, it's episode 490. I mean, he's obviously done quite a lot. I mean, he's a pretty expert uh, practitioner in this field. But the, what, the one I focused on um, uh, was his, uh, his guest is Dr. Jim Lur. I'm not entirely sure if that's how I pronounce his surname, performance psychologist. Um, he talks about mental toughness, energy management. The bit that I was really interested in is the power of journaling. So linked to reflective practice and definitely linked to writing stuff down. So like that, um, you know, post-year review stuff, writing things down, reflecting on the, the, the section, the middle section of this. I mean, it's an hour 34, so it's a long chunk, but there's about 20 minutes where he talks through someone getting to grips with uh, journaling their sort of philosophy and moral and ethical thoughts around what it means to be a coach. Um, it is 
an exceptional listen and an exercise that someone would find great value in doing. So well worth, and there's lots of other stuff on either side of it, but that bit particularly, writing stuff down, journaling things, helping with the reflective process, a great listen. Fantastic, thank you very much. Uh, Tom, what are you saying? For me, over, over the festive period, I started listening to uh, the High Performance Podcast uh, with Damien Hughes and Jake, Jake, uh, Jake Humphrey. Is it Jake Humphrey? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, you're nodding, which is good. Um, and there was an episode with Matthew Mahon, oh, I can't say his surname, I can never say his surname, the actor who played Deadpool. Um, and he's written a book called Green Lights, um, which is about how he, how he projects forward, how he thinks about the things that he wants to go and achieve and giving himself per permission to go and go and do it rather than being stuck in this, this transition of decision-making. And he talks in the podcast about breadcrumbs. And if you're putting things off, you're leaving breadcrumbs in your rearview mirror that at some stage you're going to have to go and pick up. So it's about uh, being really disciplined to do things now that are going to help you in the future. Um, and there's so many really interesting messages in there that apply to any context in any world so i bought his book i haven't read it yet but his podcast with on the high performance podcast is a really good listen Fantastic. i've not heard that one so i would definitely check that one out thank you very much uh doug finish us off uh obviously i already plugged i'm definitely not on commission by the way i wish i was uh dave's not well the Kenevan book which is a i guess a collaboration of different people it's really good uh i Shared already with Phil with you, there's a video where he uses a birthday party as a metaphor for the Kinevin framework and it explains it much more eloquently than, than anybody ever could. So uh, it's also quite funny. So I would uh, I'll share that out with you. I will also do a double share, which is I have in my hand a book that Richard Cheaton gave me for around Christmas time, which is Hegarty on Creativity. There are no rules. It's a very short book and it's, it's brilliant. The pages are actually, you can actually eat the pages apparently. Um, that is how creative he is. So uh, it's, it's a great little book. It's at my bedside table and I read it sometimes. So um, I just thought I'd throw that in as well. Love that. Is it on there just in case you get hungry as well? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Not tried it yet. Okay, good stuff. Uh, gents, this has been absolutely fantastic. What a way to uh, to get back into things and to, to kick off season three. So thank you very much. I'm going to round up the roundup. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to my guests for their time and contributions to an excellent discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. Please subscribe, like and share. Thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.